It's uh, good to see you here on the first Sunday of the year. May I see you 52 others or 51 others? <clears throat> what is your joy quotient? On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the best, where would you rate yourself in terms of your joy? What would your spouse say? How about your kids? What would they say uh, your joy quotient would be? Do your circumstances, your conditions that you're currently in, play a role in that joy quotient? So if your circumstances are bad, your joy quotient goes down. If they're good, joy goes up. Today begins our new sermon series in the small book of Philippians. And if you have a copy of the Bible, I'd like you to turn there with me. Philippians is about in the middle of the New Testament. Um, all the prison epistles gathered together after the Corinthians. You're going to find the prison epistles. And then you're going to see Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. All right, so that's where I want you to turn this morning, the book of Philippians. We're going to begin a new series in this book this morning, even though we're not complete yet with uh, Psalm 119, uh, but we are two-thirds of the way through Psalm 119, and so as you knew, the plan was to take a break from Psalm 119 and dive into a New Testament epistle, and here we are um, in Philippians this morning. As anyone else, uh, Philippians wanted to be and needed to be joyful. Just like you and me, we want to be joyful people. We want to be happy. And so Paul uses this letter to encourage them and show them where they're going to find real joy and how they can keep it. Um, and so the book of Philippians is going to be basically uh, Paul's effort to teach us where to find joy and how to keep it. This little letter from Paul um, to an ancient church has been a favorite letter, favorite epistle of many throughout the centuries. Some of the favorite verses from this book have already been read this morning, but let me read a few more for you. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, right? You know that verse, Philippians 3, 8, you heard it this morning, I, indeed I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. What an attitude. Another favorite, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You even see that on tattoos, don't you? That verse. And then 4.19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. These, among others, are the reason that the epistle of Philippians is so popular and the favorite of many. Another reason that this letter is a favorite is because of the personal nature of it. Uh, it seems like Paul is writing a personal letter to friends. He speaks his mind and seems to write whatever comes to mind in the moment. He lets us know his personal feelings, love, joy, anger, sorrow, etc. We're getting to know Paul here in this letter like no other letter in the New Testament. Throughout the letter, Paul uses terms of endearment about the Philippians. He says to them in chapter 1, verse 7, that they are always in his heart. He's always thinking about them. 
Doesn't that make you feel good when someone says, I've always been thinking about you? Or I have thought about you this past week. That makes you feel good. Terms of endearment. He says that they are the objects of his longing. That might come across a little weird to us today. You've been the object of my longing. You might want to call the police on that, but here it's a term of endearment. Uh, you are my joy and crown, chapter 4, verse 1. You are my beloved. Paul loved these people. Paul loved them. And it's evident throughout the verses in this book. Although this letter is not considered to be a doctrinal or theological heavyweight, it does have a good amount of significant doctrine. I just read a verse for you, but let me read it again, Philippians 3, 9, and be found in him. Paul wanted to be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that is from God and depends on faith. That is chock full of heavy doctrine. In fact, many have said that is a summary of the entire book of Romans. How come we didn't know that for five years in this church when we were studying Romans? Could have saved ourselves a lot of time. This is a book that has significant doctrine in it. For example, it speaks of the person and work of Christ. This is called the study of Christ Christology. One of the foremost passages on New Testament Christology is found in this book, chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. So it's not that this is lacking doctrine, it's just not considered to be a doctrinal heavyweight you know, in, in comparison to the other epistles that Paul wrote. And so this morning, as we begin this study in the book of Philippians, this is going to be an introduction to this letter and to this sermon series. I have been excited about teaching you this book now for a while. Uh, I had been praying uh, quite a bit this last year over what to teach you, uh, what to preach to you on Sunday mornings as we took a break from Psalm 119, and it came to me uh, a while ago to, to preach this book, and so I've been studying it for some time, and I am really excited about it. This is, I think, a perfect epistle for our church. Of course, I would say that about anything we chose, but uh, I particularly think this is pertinent to you today, to us as a church. So let's look at the church at Philippi. Uh, Philippi was a city. Uh, it was an important city in the Roman Empire. It was uh, the main land route from Rome to Asia Minor. It was northeast of Thessalonica on the Aegean Sea. Uh, so you think a picture of Greece. It's to the right of that, uh, northeast of Greece. This uh, important city or this trade route that ran through Philippi was called the Via Ignatia. Have you heard of that? Um, Philip II of Macedon, who was the father of Alexander the Great, uh, was interested in the local gold mines around uh, Philippi, and he went there and assumed control of those gold mines to fund his military exploits. And in 356 BC, that is before Christ, Philip II assisted the city of Crenides uh, against an attack of the Thracian invaders. Crenides was the name of Philippi before Philip showed up. When Philip got there, he thought so much of himself, he thought to rename the city after himself. This is now the city of Philip, and hence Philippi, which means city of Philip. 
So here is a small background of the city. This city in the second century BC um, was incorporated into the Roman Empire and at that time the citizens of that city became Roman citizens. In Paul's day the city was made up of a, a vast mi minority of Jews, mostly Greeks and Romans. And so as you read the book, as we read the letter and study it, you need to keep that in mind. He wasn't really speaking to Jews, uh, and some of his writings were more focused on the Jewish audience, but this is solidly focused on the Gentile audience of the Romans and Greeks. That's the city, now the planter. The planter, of course, was Paul, and I mean church planter. Uh, Paul was a church planter. That was his ministry. That was his calling. He planted churches. He planted a lot of New, New Testament churches. In fact, you know the New Testament epistles were not the wives of the apostles. You know, that's a standing joke there. The New Testament epistles were not the wives of the apostles. They were letters to churches that Paul had planted. And Philippians was a primary exemplary church that he had planted in Philippi. It is a well-known church plant, as we just read from Acts 16. Acts 16 tells us that Paul was in Philippi with Silas to spread the gospel during his second missionary journey, and he got in trouble, and they threw him in prison in Philippi. So when Paul wrote this letter, of course, it wasn't in the Philippian jail that he wrote it. He wrote this letter long after that, after the church had been established, but he was in a Roman prison at the time of the writing, actually awaiting his trial and eventual execution. And there is some to debate uh, about which prison he was actually in, and there are basically three options, a prison in Ephesus, prison in Caesarea, or prison in Rome. But the consensus is generally um, that he was in the prison in Rome at the end of his third missionary journey. So these circumstances, Paul being in prison, uh, add weight to what he was writing here in this epistle. Most commentators say that the theme of this letter is joy. And to have that as a theme of a letter written from prison is extraordinary, wouldn't you think? I think if I were writing a letter from those circumstances in a prison, dungeon really, very poorly treated, my theme wouldn't be joy. And I wonder if yours would be. Um, so Paul wrote this letter from prison towards the end of his life, and the theme was joy. Amazing. Now, what about the church in Philippi? This church, as we read in Acts 16, had a dramatic beginning. Um, the conversion of Lydia, the seller of purple from Thyatira, was there. Uh, she was sitting beside the river, either praying in this place of prayer or or cleaning laundry in the place of cleaning, which was typical in those days. Um, but she was there, and Paul walks up with Silas and starts preaching, and she received the message. It says God opened her heart, and she received the message of the gospel and became a believer. And she was well-to-do. And then the next prominent convert was the jailer. You remember, Paul and Silas were in jail. And the earthquake took place, and the prison fell apart and all the inmates probably could have left if they had wanted to, but they were all there and the jailer comes in and says, how, must, how can I be saved? I've heard you singing all night, talking about God all night. I want in on that. And 
believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And then Paul and Silas discipled that jailer for a short period of time. He became another member of the Philippian church along with Lydia. The church had been planted. Paul and Silas moved on. So the Philippian church that we see here that, that we're reading about um, in this wonderful little book is in the running for the best church of the New Testament era. This church was awesome. Uh, they were healthy, engaged, growing, in step with the Apostle Paul. They had given their full support of Paul's missionary efforts by sending him money, by sending him supplies, even sending him manpower to physically assist him on his missionary journeys. These people were engaged. They were committed to the gospel. They were committed to Paul. They sent, if you, when we get to chapter 2, we'll read of this man named Epaphroditus. He was one that came from Philippi to help Paul. Um, the church was highly committed. They were actually partnering in the gospel ministry with Paul. Now, what was the message to the church of Philippi? You would think that a church as healthy as the Philippian church was wouldn't really need all that much instruction. But Paul knew them. He also knew church planting. He also knew human nature. He also knew what it took to live joyfully as a Christian. So they needed this letter. I think you and I need the letter also. Paul knew the necessity of maintaining a joyful attitude if you're going to see progress in the Christian life. Question. Have you seen progress in your Christian life? Have you seen an ongoing, deepening commitment to the cause of Christ, to the things of God? If so, joy will accompany that. If there is a lack of joy in your Christian life, it is most likely because there hasn't been this commitment to partnership in the gospel. Those two things go together is what I'm trying to say. Joy and the Christian life, God is designed to go together. But there are things in the Christian life that can rob you and I of joy. This word joy pops up all over the book of Philippians, actually 16 times, which is why they say that's the theme. In just four chapters, I agree with the theme of joy of this letter with this addition. Listen closely. The theme of Philippians is joy that flows from partnership in the gospel. So we're going to learn that joy is sustained in the Christian life by your participation in the cause of Christ. If you lack joy, it's because you are lacking in participation of the cause of Christ in your Christian experience. You want more joy? Participate more in the cause of Christ is what you'll learn from this passage, these, this whole book. Paul was well equipped to teach the Philippians and you and me about joy. What's interesting about Paul's teaching of joy is the circumstances he, he was in. He was in prison, remember, writing a, a letter about joy. If you knew the circumstances of Roman prisons, they were really dungeons. They're not like our prisons today with unlimited internet access and TV and green courtyards where they can go out and play baseball. 
This is not a Roman prison. He was in shackles in a dark dungeon, depending on outsiders to bring him food. And yet, joy was oozing out of him. That's not exactly the environment for joy, was it? Not to mention the environment of the, the church who received this letter. We learned from 2 Corinthians that they were in extreme poverty and under the persecution of the authorities. Paul's circumstances should make us more attentive to this letter. If there's anything uh, that is typical of Americans is lack of contentment, lack of joy. And here we have this letter written by a man sitting in a Roman dungeon to a church that is experiencing extreme poverty and persecution. It's talking about joy. So Paul himself has the authority and demands the right to be heard. He has a lot to say about the matter. He personally knew the true source of joy and contentment. And he had learned this by going through very difficult times and yet being sustained by Christ no matter what. His joy was overflowing. I'd say we need to listen to what he has to say. Let me give you some examples of his circumstances besides his prison experience that you may not be aware of. In this prison, he was in a Roman prison, and he was essentially abandoned in that prison, a Roman prison. You would think that after writing the letter to the Romans, which we studied a few years back, which Paul, Paul had written long before he was in prison in Rome, all the Roman churches knew about Paul in Rome, and yet he was abandoned in Rome, a city full of Christians, and no one would come visit him. What's going on here? I'll tell you what's going on. He talks about it here in this book of Philippians. They were jealous of his ministry. Pastors were jealous of Paul's ministry. And so they left him to the Roman justice system by himself. They abandoned him, didn't meet with him, didn't take him his necessities, left him alone. And yet he was joyful. The last time you were abandoned or betrayed, was joy the first thing in your mind? Probably not. It's, I'm going to get even. Not Paul. He says, I really don't care what their motives are. The gospel's being preached. Praise God. He says in the first chapter, Paul remained upbeat and joyful. We know that he was abandoned um, in the Roman prison because of what we read in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Listen to what he says to Timothy. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Chains in Rome. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. Now, why did Onesiphorus, a Christian from a different city, have to search difficultly, earnestly, diligently to find Paul, the apostle Paul, in a Roman prison? Why would he have to go through all that trouble to find a famous Christian named Paul in a Roman prison? 
because the churches of Rome had abandoned him. That's why. It was difficult for Onesiphorus to find Paul. He'd been abandoned by Christians. So with all that's going on in Paul's life, prison, abandonment, concern for his friends in Philippi, concern for all the churches he had planted, not to mention all the other things that had gone on in his life, being stoned, being shipwrecked, being beaten, along with a bunch of other things he lists in 2 Corinthians, Paul remains joyful. We ought to listen to him when it comes to joy, when it comes to anything but joy in this case. In the midst of all these negative circumstances, he's joyful. You see, Paul didn't go out looking for things to find his joy in. I'm kind of tired of this car. I'm going to buy another one. I'm tired of that. I'm going to go do this or that or the other. No. What we'll see in Philippians, that his life was not about pursuing things to fill his void, to make him happy, to bring joy. His life was about going deeper in Christ. Jesus may have had this very thing in mind in John chapter 10 where he says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Sounds like what Paul had experienced. So this book not only gives us a glimpse of Paul's mind, this overflowing joyful mind, but amazingly the book of Philippians also gives us a glimpse into the mind of Jesus Christ himself. If, if you'll turn with me to the second chapter of Philippians. I want to read for you um, what's called the kenosis passage, and I'll explain that in um, sermons to come. But this is a Christology passage, a, a passage that teaches us about Christ. Um, he, he, Paul, here in this amazing passage that I'm going to read you, records what Jesus was thinking about, what the second person of the Godhead was thinking about as he was coming to this planet as a baby. <laughs> Think about that just for a second. Listen, chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Okay, this is the mind of Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Paul's describing what Jesus was thinking about in heaven before he came. But, but the second person of the Godhead, verse 7, made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and have been found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. <clears throat> that was in the mind of God in heaven before he became a man. That's amazing. In, these, in, in this very important passage here that I just read, we, we learned that God's condescension, God becoming man, involved two things, humility and obedience. Two of the very things that we struggle most with were the primary things in the nature of Christ. We're going to learn from that. I'm excited to teach you about that. Because of the humble and obedient condescension of the second person of the Godhead, the Father, God the Father, decreed the following in chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Therefore, if you want to look at your Bibles, 
God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. That is, God the Father bestowed on God the Son, Jesus Christ, the name that was above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, not only does this wonderful letter give us insight into Paul's mind, it gives us insight into the mind of God himself, the second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ. On top of that, it gives us insight into our own minds. Paul knows how you should be thinking. He says this in chapter 2, verse 5. I'll read it again in case you missed it the first time. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You and I, if you are in Christ, have the mind of Christ. This is how we ought to be thinking. This is how we're going to find and maintain lifelong joy. I'm excited to get there. So, as you know from our study in Romans, our goal and destiny is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We are being made into Christ-like beings if we're in Jesus. We're becoming like Jesus. This is what we learn in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Jesus, in other words, is our great pattern for thinking. You know, the world has kind of forced us into its mold, into its pattern of thinking. We think like Westerners. We think like Americans. We ought to be thinking like Jesus. This book helps us get us there. If we think like Jesus, we'll be joyful like Jesus. If we think like Paul, we'll be joyful like Paul. This book trains us, takes us by the hand, walks us step by step down that path so that by the end of this, chap of this book, in chapter 4, we are starting to think like Paul and Jesus and it results in overflowing joy. That sounds good to me. The message to the Philippian church also included the following. They needed encouragement, as you might think. Poor as they were, persecuted as they were, they needed encouragement. What did they need encouragement about? Well, Paul's circumstances. They loved Paul just as much as he loved them. And they, they had heard that he was in prison. I wonder how Paul's doing. This letter tells them, I'm doing awesome. I've never been happier. Even though I'm in prison, I've never been happier. I'm doing awesome. So they, they, they needed that encouragement. Secondly, they needed the encouragement of hearing the Apostle Paul say, thank you. You ever thought about that? You, do you find encouragement when you get a thank you note or when someone says thank you for something you've done or something you've said? Do you get encouragement from that? I do. Take, take it a, a notch way above that. You, you hold a certain Christian leader in in today's world at a high level of esteem and maybe you're sending that person a couple bucks a month to help their ministry and you get a personal personal not 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 bulk thank you notes but a personal handwritten note from that person saying i just wanted to say thank you so much for your help 
if it weren't for you, I couldn't continue doing what I'm doing. Would that encourage you? Yes, it would. That's exactly the encouragement the Philippian church heard from the Apostle Paul, that famous guy, Apostle Paul. He said, thank you so much for your help. A handwritten note, thank you so much for your help. Without you, I couldn't have done what I've done. Thirdly, they needed encouragement concerning the condition of their friend Epaphroditus. Speaks of him in in, uh, chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. So they sent Epaphroditus, one of their own, to help. Let's say uh, we send one of our own, like we're going to do this summer, to Papalote to help our missionaries, the hires. All right? And they're going to stay there and help them for a long time. And news comes back to us that our friend from our church, from Sun Valley Church, is deathly ill. We'd all be going, oh, no. We'd all pray fervently. We'd all say, what can we do? Can we send down medication? Can we, what can we do? Can we fly him home? Let's, let's get this person taken care of. That's exactly what was going on with Epaphroditus. He went from Philippi to help Paul in his missionary efforts and became deathly ill, Epaphroditus did. And so Paul wanted to send a letter back saying, listen, Epaphroditus got better, it's okay. I'm so thankful he didn't die. It would have been a wonderful, I mean, a horrible sorrow to me and much more to you. Listen, that's what this letter says. In fact, not only does it say those words, guess who hand-delivered the letter to the Philippians? Epaphroditus. He wrote, Paul wrote this letter, sealed it, handed it to Epaphroditus and said, take this back to the church in Philippi. They needed encouragement. They also needed instruction. As any pastor does, the Apostle Paul wanted his flock in Philippi to be joyful people. I want Sun Valley to be full of joyful people. Just like Paul wanted the Philippian church to be full of joyful people. And Paul wanted to alert them to things that could impede their joy. One of those things were false teachers. You know how your joy can be impeded? By someone telling you that the only way God's going to accept you is if you behave right or, or are the right kind of person. That is not encouraging. That is not joy producing. Legalism crushes joy. And false teachers had infiltrated the Philippian church and were teaching that nonsense. And it was affecting their joy. And so Paul had to instruct them. He does it in chapter 3. Listen, let me tell you about what the gospel says. These false teachers, don't listen to them. In fact, he calls them dogs. (laughs) He goes, don't listen to the dogs. He goes, here's what the gospel says. God loves you. He, he is not a father that is like a dictator. He is a loving father who, who is pleased with you and, and wants to bless you. Philippians 3. Secondly, Paul also wanted them to know, speaking of things that he wanted to instruct them about besides false teachers, uh, he also wanted to know the importance of maintaining good interpersonal relationships which if they didn't, would rob their joy. 
Isn't that something else in your life that robs your joy? Besides someone telling you that you're not acceptable to God unless you behave? Is when you have interpersonal conflict, it robs your joy. No one likes that. I mean, which is why we don't like confrontation. It's why we don't like being in trouble with our people we love. It robs our joy, and we don't like our joy robbed. We want to be joyful people. One of the things that will rob any church of joy is disunity, self-centeredness, pride. Which is why Paul included the comments in chapter 2, if you've got a Bible, verses 1 through 4, these, these words. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, which there is, any comfort from love, which there is, any participation in the Spirit, which there is, any affection and sympathy, which there is, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being full accord with one mind. He's speaking to a group of Christians at the Philippian church. Now listen, do nothing from rivalry or conceit. In humility count others more important than yourselves or more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interest but also to the interest of others. Have this mind in you, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul included these comments because he knew interpersonal difficult or broken relationship in a church impedes joy. So he wanted to instruct them how to get along as Christians. I know we don't have any problems with that here, but some churches do, right? In case we do, we're going to be told how to get along with one another so that our joy is not impeded. Thirdly, in terms of the instruction we're going to come across in this book, Paul wanted to reinforce the Philippian church's commitment to the cause of Christ. I mean, they were so committed. They were so in. They were all in with Paul and the gospel. But he wanted to reinforce that. These folks had partnered with Paul in the gospel ministry, and this is something that will add to any Christian's joy. If you'll just deepen your commitment to the cause of Christ, your joy quotient will go up in proportion to that. Now let's turn our focus from the Philippian church to the church where we worship, Sun Valley Church. The Sun Valley Church. We planted Sun Valley Church in March of 2003. Many of you were here at that time. Many of you were not here at that time. But we've been through a lot of challenging events and circumstances together, haven't we? Been through a lot, and God has been faithful to us through them all, protected us, and guided us, and it's been a blessing to all of us who've been through them to see God's hand of protection and guidance and hope through it all. Our current circumstances, just as the Philippian church was a wonderful, supportive, growing, and healthy church, my opinion is so is Sun Valley Church. Um, we have seen so many blessings from God at our church. Um, we've seen numerical growth, more people serving, more people genuinely connected, more people giving, more people engaged than ever in the life of our church at Sun Valley. Look around you. This is the first service. It started at 8 a.m. 
Do you know how many were in attendance in 8 a.m. when we first started two services? We were hoping to get to 50. There's more than that here now. Last year, 2019, was our biggest year of attendance ever. Last year was the best giving year ever. So many of you are serving, sacrificing, loving, participating at high levels. <clears throat> this is a great church, and God is to be praised. You're participating at amazingly high levels. And it is a great joy to be a part of this church and witness it firsthand. You may have joined us in the cause of Christ and your joy is reflected in that. You have partnered with us in the gospel ministry and your joy is reflected in that. So what is the message to the church of Sun Valley from this simple epistle? The message that Paul is giving to us through the Holy Spirit is to urge us to keep pushing, keep pressing on, keep serving, giving, loving, and never get tired. And joy, more joy, will follow. Let's pursue more joy. Let's pursue greater partnership in the gospel. You are serving. Here's what Paul would say. Serve more. You are giving. Paul would say, give more. You are participating. God would, Paul would say, participate more. Because your joy is directly related to your participation in the cause of Christ. Do you want to be more happy? Then be more connected. Participate more. Know Christ deeper. Be gospel partnership cause of Christ oriented people and it will be reflected in your joy and I know that as I said uh, we are a wonderful church full of joyful people God thinks that it can get better okay we're, we're doing pretty well in my opinion how much better are we going to be doing in glory as a group of people standing before the sun on that day. Are we going to be doing better? Oh, yeah, a lot better. So between where we are and where we're going to be, let's move on that path. Let's keep going. Let's have greater engagement. Being in a thriving church didn't mean the Philippian church could sit back and take it easy. It doesn't mean that we can sit back and rest on our laurels either, Sun Valley. We cannot adopt the lethal attitude that many churches do adopt that are in our circumstances. We've done enough. Let's let someone else pick up the slack for a while. We've done our part. No. <laughs> no. We need to keep pushing. We need to keep pressing on to the goal of Christ Jesus. We need to keep sacrificing, praying, inviting, supporting, giving, participating more and more and more as a people at this church. This is why I think this is such a perfect epistle, a perfect sermon series for Sun Valley Church. As wonderful as this church is, as high as my opinion is of you, Sun Valley Church, I want to see you happier people. Pray with me.
Father, Holy Spirit, Jesus, thank you for inspiring the Apostle Paul to pen these important words in this letter to the Philippian church. I pray that as we dive into this epistle of joy, that it would find a resting place in our souls and we would benefit in terms of joy in our walk with Christ. That you would bless us more as a church and as a result we would, we would pursue you more and as a result of pursuing you more, you would bless us more. And this would continue on throughout the entire life of our body here in this, in this valley. We acknowledge that all the things that are a blessing to us at Sun Valley are because of your hand of goodness towards us. And we're thankful for that. We give praise to you for that. We thank you for your guidance, for your direction, for your support, for your encouragement, for all the things necessary to bring us to where we are. We acknowledge it's from your hand. And yet, as the Philippians would say, we want more. We want more of you, Christ Jesus. We want more of the Holy Spirit's power and direction. We want more of the love of the Father demonstrated to us in Scripture through the, through the person and work of Jesus Christ. God, we want more. We want to be engaged personally as a church. I, I pray that that would be one of the great results of this sermon series, that Sun Valley Church would find itself more engaged and more joyful than we are today. Uh, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, we pray that you would make these things happen. To the glory of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.